Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman. And I'm Eve Simmons. And we're health journalists, which means we spend our lives asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week we're talking about vitamin D. Was it a waste of time and money for the government to advise all of us to take it in the winter? As ever, we'd like to know what you think. So if you have a question or a suggestion for us at Medical Minefield, tweet us using the hashtag Medical Minefield or email us at health at mailonsunday.co.uk. So it's an interesting question. Are you taking vitamin D, Eve? I'm not. I never have done, actually. I like all supplements, have always found it a bit difficult to stick to. I, I never know what they're doing. So we get sent wheelbarrow and loads full. And do you want to tell full. our listeners and viewers the truth about the ones that we actually do decide to take? Oh, well, coming on to that. Okay. We get sent the supplements and over the years I've I've had many, many sent to me and you, used to kind of, you take them and you start taking them and maybe a doctor might have said that it was worth doing for X or Y reason or something. And then I, I just get bored. Same. I get bored. Except... Except when they're sweeties. Yes, we love the gummy supplements. Yes. Because if you're going to eat sweets, why not have a vitamin sweet? Because then they're healthy. They're good for you. Exactly. Who knows? And delicious. Yes. Good for the skin, hair and nails. Oh, those are my favourite ones. I think they taste like cherry and they're shaped like little teddy bears. But on a more serious point, they are recommended by doctors for, as we discovered this week, a bewildering range of reasons. We got our, um, well, actually, you you did a, a tweet and our, our resident GP columnist, Dr. Eddie Cannon, tweeted asking people what they'd been recommended to take vitamin D supplements for specifically mm. by a doctor or another healthcare professional. And there were people who said that they were take, uh, recommended to take them for arthritis, MS, multiple sclerosis. Someone told me that they were taking it after a hysterectomy. I saw a couple of people tweet and uh, message me directly saying that they'd been recommended by their doctor to take it because of cancer um, as part of their cancer treatment, which I found really interesting. Vitamin D was in the headlines a couple of weeks back because a huge clinical trial concluded. 6,000 patients were randomised and some of them were given vitamin D supplements and some of them not over six months. And they looked at the effect on COVID, which it's been debated widely throughout the COVID pandemic that did vitamin D have a role to play in? I mean, most people would have heard something about this at mm. some point. And it concluded that it did absolutely nothing. That is really shocking because all of the clinically vulnerable people were told to go out and get free vitamin D from their GPs in, I think it was between September 2020 and February 2021. So that was the shielding groups and they were recommended to take the daily dose of vitamin D. Uh, that all adults are supposed to. So in 2016, the Scientific Advisory Committee on Nutrition, SACN, decided to revise their guidance. So there was no set level that we were supposed to achieve in in terms of intake of vitamin D. And the reason for that, I think, uh, we'll get onto in a, in a moment. But they revised their guidance and basically said that everyone needed 10 micrograms. They needed to achieve 10 micrograms a day. And 
as throughout the winter, mm. we don't get vitamin D because, in fact, vitamin D isn't really a vitamin. It's actually a hormone that's produced by the body in response to sunlight. But what, about, on, what about our diet? I thought eggs and fish and all that. There's small amounts in some animal products because those animal products, those animal bodies produce the vitamin D mm-hmm. hormone also. So if you eat them, you will eat some vitamin D. However, the vast majority of the vitamin D that we create is in response to sunlight. And I'm always amazed that it's not as simple as just going outside in the sunshine and you make vitamin D. It has to be at a certain time during the day and you can't be wearing makeup. And if you put SPF on, you have to put it on a certain time or something to make sure you absorb the most vitamin D. I don't think it's as complicated as that, but most people say that sun exposure is the key thing. Mm. But during the summer, if you go out, don't wear an SPF, go out for a walk in the midday sun, you will be producing vitamin D at that point. Someone once described it to me as when you go out in the sun and you feel your skin start to tingle, Mm. that's when you're producing vitamin D. Interesting. As Dr. Kath Collins. So what's the difference between that that? and sunburn? Apparently sunburn, some mild redness, etc. Again, you'll be producing vitamin D, so it's it's so it's, it's not, not as bad. bad as you might think. Okay. Swings and roundabouts. Yeah, positives and um, and negatives mm. of of sun exposure, and and th- there have been concerns about low levels of vitamin D because we had seen a resurgence in some populations in the UK of an illness called rickets, which is a bone softening illness in children or condition in children. It causes the bones to basically bend, so they grow. They grow with deformities of the legs, like bowed legs and such like. And they'd seen this specifically in, in certain communities, I believe that you know for religious reasons the Mm. children were very covered up Mm. and perhaps their skins also are darker so the vitamin d production Mm. isn't as rapid in darker skins they're more resilient to the sun so they don't produce vitamin d as as readily in the british poor sunlight Mm. so that was flagged up as a problem and was that why the deficiency level was stated by the second I'm not totally sure, but look, one person who has been researching this all week is our reporter, Ethan Ennels, who I discovered, like many of the younger guys in the office, is on vitamin D and has people have been recommended it again for all kinds of reasons, bad backs and being tired all the time, all sorts of things. But we've got Ethan on the line now. Hello, guys. How are we doing? Ethan, hi. How's it going? It's going great, thank you. Thanks very much for sparing a couple of minutes out of your busy day. So uh, we're talking today about vitamin D and the reasons why people take it. Obviously, it's this vitamin hormone produced by the body. It's integral in all kinds of roles in, in the body from you know nervous system and immune function to bone health. But why the fascination with taking vitamin D supplements? You found some his- interesting historical context to that, haven't you? Yeah, I found this fascinating. Scientists I was speaking to this week basically said that our obsession with vitamin D traces back to the 1920s when the UK had a rickets epidemic, the disease which leaves children with uh, bow legs and painful joint issues. And it was endemic in the industrial towns, like Glasgow especially was always the kind of key example. And in one of the first ever public health measures in the UK, the government decided to offer children in these areas cod liver oil which is extremely high in vitamin d and the effect was stunning rickets was essentially wiped out in the space of a few years one scientist i spoke to compared it to the polio vaccine a couple decades later and how effective it was but they also said the effect for that was that since then 
we've seen vitamin D as a wonder drug, cure-all, and it's gone from there, and we now believe it works for everything, mm. perhaps wrongly. And, but, I mean, obviously you're not at risk of, of rickets, are you? That's not why you were not. recommended to take it. <laughs> no, so I, I was suffering from uh, really bad back pains uh, in the winter of last year, which is a particularly bad winter, and also because of the COVID lockdown, wasn't getting out very much. So I went to the doctor for a blood test to make sure it wasn't anything too serious, and they said, you're fine, but you have pretty low levels of vitamin D, so we'd recommend taking the vitamin D, and that might also help with the aches and pains you're getting in your back. Mm. And, and has it? Well, I don't think it has at all, and the weirdest part of it was, until a few weeks ago when we started thinking about putting this story together, I never once wondered what the vitamin D was doing for me. I heard that I was vitamin D deficient. It made sense because I wasn't getting enough sunlight. My mum's side of the family is Asian as well, so probably more at risk of having vitamin D deficiency. But Mm. I never really questioned what that meant to be vitamin D deficient and what that had to do with my bad back. So are you going to keep taking them or are you going to stick them in the bin? I I presume you have to buy them. You don't get them on the NHS. No, if you're severely vitamin D deficient and you have underlying health conditions, then you can get them for free on the NHS. And in fact, a GP today I was speaking to said that we spend about 8 million every month. The NHS spends 8 million every month prescribing vitamin D tablets. Wow. But for people like myself who have just kind of lower levels than normal uh, you have to go buy it from a shop or in my case I got it on Amazon and I don't know what I'll do I, I've kind of gotten to the ritual of taking them now it's why I take with my breakfast and it feels like I'm starting the day right but now the more I look into it the more I feel like I'm not really getting anything from it and, and your back pain and completely back pain, the same completely the same <laughs> oh, <dear>. <laughs> <laughs> well look I hope you do find something that does make it get better eventually thanks very much for explaining that all to us thanks guys That's really interesting what Ethan was saying because I always knew that my grandfather was prescribed time in the countryside during the summer. He lived in the east end of London and it was a very built-up area and the children there were, um, you know, didn't have a lot of money and didn't really get out or go anywhere. And he was told by the doctor that he had to get some sun in the countryside because he was at risk of rickets. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. And they used to prescribe fresh air as well, didn't they? Yeah, it was something like that. Bracing fresh air and... Mm. Apparently, as a child, my grandma was horrified that we weren't left in the garden. Oh. Yes. Overnight or just... (laughs) Apparently, that was the healthy thing to do. You know, you should uh, swaddle your child and leave the baby in the garden. Wow. Is that the same thing as, like, throw the baby in the swimming pool to make them swim or the sea? Oh, I haven't heard that one. Apparently, that's how how you learn to swim. (laughs) That's how you learn to swim. Anyway, I'm very excited to say that we've got a highly respected expert on the line now who's going to tell us all about why taking vitamin D supplementation is little more than dogma. On the line now, we have Tim Spector, Professor of Genetics at King's College London and author and co-creator of the Zoe COVID Study Tracker app. Professor Spector, thank you very much for finding time to talk to us on Medical Minefield. My pleasure. We're talking today about vitamin D. And the fascination, the uh, obsession, some might say, that we have, that British people have in taking vitamin D supplements. And you've been critical of vitamin D supplements. You feel that, that, that perhaps they don't do as much as people might believe for their health. Could you explain why? Yes, I think my background is as a rheumatology expert, osteoporosis expert, and for Perhaps 25 years I was happily prescribing them to virtually all of my patients. 
And the idea was that they were primarily discovered first for their, their use in bone health. And initially that was rickets and osteomalacia, which is very severe deficiency. And then the idea was that would help osteoporosis, which is not really a deficiency of vitamin D, but it just might help. And for most of the last 30 years, we've believed they've been very useful in that regard. And it became so popular that it became used in about 100 different other diseases as well as prevention. And all the data now shows they don't work. So the latest studies show they have no clear benefit, even for bone health, in terms of reducing fractures or falls. And when given in excess amounts, can actually increase fractures and falls. So I think it's been one of the most hyped supplements of all time. And that's why it's got this fantastic name, the sunshine vitamin. And about perhaps as many as one in three people in the UK actually take them regularly. I mean, one of the reasons that people take them is this idea that we don't get enough in natural ways that because vitamin D is produced by the body in response to sunlight and we have not much sunlight and wear SPF and all that kind of stuff in the UK, that we don't get enough vitamin D. Surely, you know, topping up levels in that respect must help. I mean, there's a government guidance that suggests that we all need to have 10 micrograms a day. Well, in theory, it all makes perfect sense. And what you're saying is correct, although evolution for millions of years has made sure that we probably do get adequate vitamin D levels if we do go outside for at least 15, 20 minutes every day in the sun when it's sunshine and we have enough reserves to carry us through winter. So I think the idea that naturally humans need top-ups that they can't get through food or sunshine is rather misguided. But you're absolutely correct, the theory seems to make sense. But if that's true, why do none of the trials of giving supplements actually work? It's probably because we've got the theory a bit wrong and that giving vitamin D as a pill does not have the same effect as it does perhaps with food or with through natural sunlight. Mm. And we've had this big reaction against sunlight because of the scares about skin cancer, which means that certainly every single face cream produced on the market contains SPF. So we have this anti-sunshine feeling at the moment and people are popping tablets because of that and the tablets aren't working and actually there's lots of evidence that sunshine does work to prevent diseases. So you think that if the studies were, instead of giving a pill, it was prescribing an hour of sunshine or, you know, a food that was high in vitamin D that you would see this beneficial effect? Yes, I think you'd have to do very large studies of this kind to see because they're all quite subtle effects anyway. But yes, I believe that probably would be true. And I think we've become too obsessed with these blood levels. Many doctors are over-diagnosing now vitamin D deficiency at levels that are three times higher than when I started researching osteoporosis 30 years ago. So we've altered the bar, if you like. So half the population can be called vitamin D deficient and prescribed supplements. I read some of the more persuasive studies into the perils of having low levels of vitamin D looked at people who emigrate from countries where it's very sunny and those groups then develop different illnesses, potentially as a result of that, less sunlight. I know that MS was one of them. And we certainly, when we we did a tweet, uh, we heard from a number of people with MS who'd been recommended by their doctors to take vitamin D as a result. Are you aware of that? I think... MS, multiple sclerosis, may be the one exception in the 100 diseases that have been linked to vitamin D that may actually be true. So multiple sclerosis could be related to sunshine, 
But again, if uh, you know, I was wanting to prevent multiple sclerosis, I'd think you'd be much better off spending more time in the sun than taking a vitamin D supplement. Well, do we know what the mechanism is there? Uh, we don't. And this is largely the problem with this whole area. We know that vitamin D is important in the immune process, but we don't know at what point it starts to really alter it. The data is really done on lots on mice and not much of it is done in humans. And so it's very hard to be sure. And that's why we're still fairly ignorant about this whole system. You know, with the with vitamin D, when we last wrote about it, something that really made me give up hope was learning that, in fact, none of the vitamin D you take in one of those supplements actually makes it through the digestive system and back into the blood. So there was no point in taking it anyway. Is is that true? I'm not sure I've seen that particular study, but I, I do know that the quality of much of the vitamin D we take is highly dubious, as it is with most supplements. Most of them are produced in massive factories in China, and there's no real control over the quality of them. And so I think we have to really say that we're unsure how much vitamin D does get into us that way. I mean, my patients, when I gave them vitamin D, generally you would see an increase in the blood levels a month later. So I think some of it's definitely getting in, but the cheap ones you get in health food shops, etc., may not contain much of the good stuff either. So I think there's a whole uncertainty around this really highly unregulated field. And I think vitamin D is just the poster boy, if you like, for all the vitamins, because it's not even a vitamin. And yet, because we call it a vitamin, we think it's something that must be good for us, doesn't have any side effects, is cheap and is not tarnished with that sort of pharmaceutical label. And yet, this is a pseudo-steroid. And if it was called a steroid, uh, I don't think many people would take it. Mm. Something that people became absolutely evangelical over the pandemic about was, was taking vitamin D to protect you from COVID or to make COVID less bad. And we spoke to all sorts of people who, who went on about taking various different things. And it always included vitamin D. Mm. Were you aware of that? Uh, very much so, yes. I mean, I discussed this in my book, Spoonfed. And we also, in the Zoe COVID study, a million people told us what supplements they were taking. And we checked whether they ended up getting COVID in the six months that followed. And we looked at all kinds of supplements and vitamins. And it turned out that there's absolutely zero effect of zinc and garlic and vitamin C and omega-3. And there was a very small effect of vitamin D, but only in females and absolutely nothing in men. Uh, and it's probably more just due to some bias. And I think there have been some recent more vigorous studies of vitamin D and COVID, which have been negative. Yeah, there was a clinical trial, 6,000 patient clinical trial. And the clinical trial is really the, the highest level of evidence. You know, it's a great story, really, because I think the original one was, I think it was some Italian study that said it had a 60% protective effect on death from COVID right at the beginning of the pandemic, which is a very spurious data, and it really was far too good to be true. And no doctors really believed it, but that spurred this huge marketing surge. And it's only when you get a clinical trial done two years down the line, you show actually it had no effect at all. This is really the story of vitamin D, that it's quite easy to get nice stories about it in the press. People like taking it, you know, even if it's a placebo, they say, oh, I don't mind, it's fine, you know, it, I feel it's doing me some good. But if you want the hard evidence, then you need the clinical trial, and they're all coming out negative. Well, Professor Spector, you've made me feel less bad about not taking my <laughs> vitamin D supplements. <laughs> Thanks very much for finding some time to talk to us. And good luck getting the sunshine and oily fish.
<laughs> Cheers. We're going to need it today. <laughs> yeah. The longest I ever managed to take vitamin D was for kept on getting eye infections, and my eye doctor. This no, is just this your just eye popped into said my take vitamin yeah. D. This has just popped into my mind. My eye doctor said that I should take a vitamin D and and fish oil supplements because they'd been shown to the immune system mm, by help infections liquidize eye secretions. Oh, I don't know. that's Li- a new one. Something like that. Anyway, I did I did take it for. A really long, six months, I didn't notice any and, different. Oh, no. it's a shame. I wonder if anyone has, because we haven't heard anyone from anyone so far who... But the other thing about has. vitamins, I always think is such a wheeze, is that they say, oh, you had to take it for X number of months in order to see any effect. No one does that. But even if you do, how do you know that things just didn't happen on their own anyway? Mm. You know... And because the things that you would take them for to help are generally things that do tend to just get better with time. Exactly. If you want to know what works for eye infections, it's a hot compress. Oh, yeah, I have heard mm. that. It's boring, but it does really work. And you have to do it every morning and every night, and that's quite annoying. Yeah, but it's it's really works. So there you go. Great. Don't take vitamin D, though, or rub it in your eye. Oh, no, no, no one wants to do that. <laughs> well, look, I, I'd like to round up by speaking to a doctor who does sensibly advise people mm. to take vitamin D. On the line now is Bolton-based GP, Dr Jane Wilcock. Dr Wilcock, you regularly prescribe vitamin D. Can you tell us about the type of patients that you would offer this to? We deal with a whole population range of illnesses and these are all quite unusual illnesses that we recommend vitamin D for. And then we have a large group of patients who we ask to buy vitamin D. And this group of patients who may come to us with widespread chronic pain, it may be a a mental health problem, or it may be that they have got fibromyalgia or or rheumatoid arthritis. You know, so we, we work through these. And as part of that, we might be considering that their muscle and bone pain may be due to a lack of vitamin D. That group might well get their vitamin D checked. And we treat those and we can see that alkaline phosphatase, bone enzyme, go back down to normal as they start to metabolize normally. And then we've got people who are encouraged to buy vitamin D. And they're people who perhaps don't go out of the house because of chronic illness. They're people in pregnancy, children people who have a highly pigmented skin that's difficult to get a reaction of sunlight at the sort of levels we get in England and the UK. But don't forget, 90% of vitamin D is created between April and uh, October by going outside and getting some sunlight. Did you ever recommend it for COVID? Uh, No. So would we treat it for treating COVID? And the answer for that is no. There were some rapid reviews done on that. And vitamin D is thought to have some immune effects. But then the government, what was public health at the time, for COVID, not because of COVID, but because of locking in, was saying, you need to be taking vitamin D. And we we were heavily recommending this to patients. And I don't think it was publicized as much as it should have been that when people were locked in, and particularly over the winter, everybody was asked to take vitamin D in this smaller dose. Now, the smaller dose recommended in, in, in the UK is 400 units, is the same as 10 micrograms. So I've been taking that dose over the, over the winter as was recommended, sure. But what for? Why have you been taking it? Right, because we haven't been able to take 
the sort of vitamin levels that we would normally get into our bodies because of various lockdowns. And certainly up here in Bolton, we've been locked down more than quite a lot of places in the country. So most people were thought to be vitamin def- deficient, even coming into the winter. But was there any symptom that you were trying to alleviate? Was there any problem or was it just a kind of general self-care type yeah. activity? Yeah, this is National uh, Guidance for Prevention of Osteomalacia. Osteomalacia is a condition due to lack of vitamin D. So due to lack of vitamin D, the bones become rather softened in the muscles and you can get aching. You were concerned that that you might develop osteomalacia? So, yes, and public health at the time was concerned that the whole of Britain's population may get osteomalacia due to the lockdowns. Yeah, absolutely. Is that something you've ever seen in your your career at all, in any patients? I have seen osteomalacia occasionally, yes. And uh, just as an example, my last one was a lady who'd had cancer therapy. So been in due to not being well, then been in due to surgery, and then been in due to recovery and therefore hadn't been able to get out and therefore hadn't been producing vitamin D by the action of sunlight on the skin and presented feeling quite achy and uh, actually was very vitamin D deficient, had the high alkaline phosphatase on the blood test that disappeared with treatment. And I believe, I mean, it's always difficult because obviously they may have just recovered anyway, but uh, I believe that they recovered faster and had better function because of that. But it's quite a leap, isn't it? You know, I mean, it sounds like a very specific indication to recommend that supplement to that patient. But then to go from there to recommending everyone in the whole country takes the supplement. That's that's quite a leap of logic, isn't it? Um. No, I don't think so. I I think the fact is that we know that we need to have summer sunshine to create vitamin D and then to store it in our livers with cholecalciferol that then gets activated if we need it at the kidney. We know that that's needed. And we know that during the pandemic, people were locked down for long periods of time and were unable to get that and they weren't going on the foreign holidays. So it seemed sensible that there was a national recommendation to take a low dose of vitamin D at 400 international units. And in some of these groups, we'd actually recommend all year round, not just over over the winter period, but uh, generally uh, September, October to late March, April. It's a great idea. I mean, prevention isn't a leap of faith because there's lots of people taking cholesterol tablets to reduce their cholesterol because it can reduce their incidence of heart attack in the same way, taking a small dose of vitamin D to prevent osteomalacia in years to come to me that that's core general practice well uh, dr jane wilcock thank you so much for sparing the time to talk to us today right lovely to speak to you thank you vitamin d it's like taking statins Oh, yeah, that was a bit Everyone. of a strange comparison. But I think it was completely right what you pointed out, that that's a, the example she gave was a very specific case of somebody who had been indoors for a very long time and also had various other health complications. Right, exactly. And also during lockdown, How does it translate to a kind of stick-it-in-the-water type? <laughs> we had a really hot April and, yeah, OK, we were locked down for some of it, but we were also allowed to go outside. And what about all those pictures of everyone running around their gardens or walking up and down the street or, you know... I've just remembered, mm. you only need 20 minutes of sun a day to produce adequate vitamin D. But what she was talking about, the summer holidays... You don't buy blasting yourself for mm. a week in Magaluf. Mm. Or where was it that you go? Oh, I knew that was going to come up at some <laughs> point. I went on one occasion to Ibiza. 
I've been too. Exactly. I'm not, it's yeah. quite stylish now. I'm very yeah, classy. Yeah. But anyway, a week in Ibiza, mm-hmm. blasting yourself in the sun, isn't going to top up your levels for the rest of the year round. It doesn't work like that. No, you exactly. You have to have a little bit of You often. don't have to go on a summer holiday in order to, you no. know, not get rickets. No, or osteo. Osteo Malaysia. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not convinced. I have to say. I'm not either. You know, it sounds like a kind of a well-intentioned blanket mm. rule or maybe sort of certain leaps of logic, like the SACN came up with a recommendation for a minimum amount. Mm. And perhaps because people struggle to get it in the diet and aren't getting a lot of sun... It then was translated by Public Health England into, you know, it could be worth taking a supplement. And then that gets translated by the supplement industry into buy our products. I think yeah, at the and time... And they have many clever ruses, yeah, clearly. In, in... And they're so expensive as well. I mean, this is well, the, the good thing. good stuff clearly is. Well, exactly. If you do get the ones, you know, off whatever website you may choose to look at that may be made in oh, China just as... sweep it off the floor. <laughs> the detritus. Yeah, no, you don't want Just that. Just cough a little bit in it and yeah. put the lid on. Um, no, but, you know, if you're going for the high-end stuff, as you said, that's probably probably is going to be standardised and checked and whatever, you know, you're looking at, what, nine, £10 a pot, which is ludicrous. I mean, imagine all the gin you could buy with that. <laughs> exactly. Or the sweets, the vitamin sweets. Which aren't going to do anything for you anyway. No, but they taste nice, so it's worth it. Well, with that, I'm off to buy some sweets. And I am off to Ibiza to get some vitamin D. You'll find all the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday and follow me and Eve on Twitter. I'm at Barney Kalman. And I'm at Eve Simmons without the O. Would you like to spell that for me? (laughs) E-V-E-S-I-M-M-N-S. Brilliant. And we'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week, so we'll see you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.